Very proud of that. Good to uh, see you, good to be together, and uh, good to study Philippians for the last time. Uh, some of you have persevered through all of this, so uh, glad for that. Bible's always good to study and good to think about. You know, something that uh, I did many years ago, when I was uh, the age of a few of you, when I was about, uh, I don't know, I was about Joshua's age, probably. Um, I, the preacher we had at church was not the world's most exciting speaker. And he had a habit of kind of saying the same thing repeatedly. And But I was old enough and recognized I need to get something out of this. You know, I mean, and I thought, well, you know, the, he's reading the Bible. It was, it was very biblical. I mean, he was always talking about the Bible. He was always reading Bible passages. So I thought, you know, whether I really get a whole lot out of like his style and his approach and all that, if he's using the Bible, I need to get some out of this. And so what I kind of ended up doing is I really focused on the passages he was using. Sometimes I'd even read the context of them a little bit, and I'd meditate on them and think about what they meant, what, how they applied to me. I probably got more out of his preaching than about anybody's. Not really because he's told me a whole lot I didn't already know, but because I really focused on the scriptures. Sometimes we get really focused on who's delivering something and how exciting they are, you know, whatever we like or don't like about their style. But really, if it's the word of the Lord, and, and they're, they're talking about that, we can learn. We may not learn from them, but we can certainly learn by looking at the word of the Lord and, and, and thinking about it. And I think that's something for us to remember, because all of us are going to have some Bible class teachers we like better than others. We're going to get more out of some styles than others, and we're going to vary as to who's who in that, you know, because we're all different personalities. But we can all benefit by the word of the Lord. So let's always uh, remember that. Daniel, you want to lead us to prayer before we start? who were trying to save themselves by their own works, but you've got the other side of the coin too. You've got people who are trying to drop rules because they're focused on this world, they're focused on their pleasures and desires and what they like. So would somebody read me chapter 3, verses 18 to 21? For Rene Walk, of whom I often told you, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. For our, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble, humble state into conformity with the body of his glory, by the extortion of power, of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. 
himself. Paul is telling them about these enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul's very upset about that. He's crying as he tells them because he sees their destruction, how they could lead the Philippians astray. These are the people whose God is their appetite. That is, they do what they feel like. They do what they want to. They, they focus on earthly things. They focus on the things that they feel and the things that they want in this life. Of course, if our whole life is centered on what we feel and what we want and this life stuff, what's our destination going to be? <coughs> Destruction. You know, we're, we're going to be lost if we are centered on trying to gratify and indulge our own desires. So what's the uh, way of overcoming those self-indulgent things? We're in Philippians chapter 3. Yeah. What's the way of overcoming that? Well, where's our citizenship? In heaven. We see ourselves as belonging to heaven. We are looking forward to Jesus coming back from heaven and taking our earthly physical body and transforming it by his great power to be like his glorified body. And as we are so excited about Jesus coming back and about what we're going to receive, we're focused more on reaching forward to heaven than we are on pleasing ourselves in this life. That's how we overcome these enemies of the cross of Christ. Alright, any questions or comments here on chapter 3? Alright, let's focus on chapter 4 then for this afternoon. Uh, would somebody read verses 1 to 3? Therefore, my brother, son, whom my love and long for, my joy and my time, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I treat you, oh yes, and I treat you to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, treat me Help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clinton and the rest of my fellow workers whose names will be made black. Okay. Now, how does Paul feel about these brethren? Yeah. <clears throat> okay, now, we've got those three reasons. Man, he does, doesn't he? Do you see that in verse 1? He cares about them so much. We'd say there is pride and joy. You know, he just was so attached to them. He cared so much about them. And that made him really concerned about them. And when there were problems and difficulties among them, that bothered him. And he's particularly bothered by what situation in the group here? Yeah, two of the women seem to have had a falling out. Now you remember, he has earlier in the book been exhorting a lot to unity and unselfishness and humility so they can be one mind, one spirit, and all that stuff. Maybe there's things going on like this. At least these two women, Paul singles out and mentions their names in this letter to the whole church, telling them what? Live in harmony in the Lord. The fact that he says that makes us think they weren't. Why else would you single out two people and tell them to do that? You know, uh, John has a number of siblings. If your parents say, John, be quiet, what do we assume was going on? Yeah, they probably thought he was being loud. 
You know, otherwise, they wouldn't have singled him out for that exhortation. You know, so evidently there's a problem between these two women. I don't know what it was. It doesn't really matter. You know, if we knew what it was, maybe it wouldn't help us as much. It doesn't really matter what it is. They need to live in harmony in the Lord. Which one of them had the obligation to resolve the problem? Both of them. See, he says the same thing to her. Both of them. I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche. It doesn't really matter. You know, anything about it, if you've got a problem with somebody, both of you need to work it out. Now, what's he saying in verse 3? Who is he speaking verse 3 to? Okay, he thinks possibly Epaphroditus. Does he say the name of the person? He says true. Yes. Which might be the name of the person. The person's name may be companion. And he may be saying, you really are one. If not, we don't know who he's talking about. But it may be he's making a play on the actual name of the person and saying, I urge, you know, indeed, true, whatever their name is, you really are one. What's this true companion supposed to do? How would the true companion help in this situation? He wants both to listen to remember the work that they've done again. And realize that no quarrel needs to come in the way of the work that they've done. So how's the true companion going to help? Make them realize that? Yes. I think Paul is appealing to another person to intervene and try to help the two women get along. Can you see a reason why Paul might have asked somebody else to help the two women to get along? Because they weren't getting along, obviously. And what? And they needed to fix the dispute and... Yeah, sometimes the third party getting involved can help the two people to solve the argument. You know, because every once in a while there is just something where two people are really in a dispute and they don't seem to be able to deal with it, the two of them on their own. Paul evidently thinks it's pretty serious to ask this true companion to get involved to try to help resolve the problem. You know, that's an interesting thing to think about. If you see two brothers, two sisters, whatever, having a dispute, it may be the Lord wants you to mediate. It may be that he wants you to get involved and try to help the two people to resolve that. That's what he's telling this person here. These are good women. They shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel. Their names are in the book of life. Paul is saying these are fine Christian women, but they got a problem between them. And he wants the true companion to really help mediate and help bring the two together to get along together in the Lord. That just seems so modern. 
You know, it sounds like various situations I know about. And every once in a while, the Lord has been able and willing for me to be the true companion to try to help resolve the problem between two people. So Christian brethren need to work together. There's a problem, they need to resolve it, and they may need to have somebody from the outside kind of help them resolve it. Comments and questions about that? Why would somebody read 4 to 9? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which has all understanding, regard your hearts and minds in Christ's name. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are pure before, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. That's quite a statement right there. There's a lot of things in our outlook and attitude. First of all, in verse 4, what are we supposed to do? Always be happy. Is that what he's saying? No. Should we always be happy? No. Why would you say no? Because the Bible says be sad with those who are sad. The Bible does say to be sad with those who are sad. The Bible says blessed are those who mourn. James 4 says to be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into tears. There are moments when God actually wants sadness. You know, so the goal is not we're always happy, we're always smiling, everything's always wonderful. Most of the time that's not very realistic anyway. His point is not always have a smile. His point is rejoice in the Lord. Whatever the circumstances, let your joy be in God and not in other things. He's not so much commanding constant joy as to always have the joy we have be in the Lord. There is a sense in which we always have joy. There's a sense in which joy is a fruit of spirit. That is a blessing. But that joy is sometimes sad. <laughs> You know, we have the joy of salvation, the joy of knowing the Lord and having fellowship with the Lord. But is the Lord ever sad? Yeah. Did Jesus ever cry? Yeah. So we have an underlying joy because of the blessings we have. Um, well, we may have moments of sadness, but the joys we have are always in the Lord. We don't let earthly, worldly joys take over. Always it's the Lord that is our source of joy and strength. Comments about that? And then in verse 5, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. You know, be gentle, sacrifice your rights and preferences. After all, he says, the Lord is near. Now, you can think of that two different ways. When he says the Lord is near, how do you think of that word near? Yes. You might think of it like in terms of physical closeness. Like right now, Zeb is near. <laughs> oh, I guess I moved over right beside him. But now, 
Zev is far. You know, so sometimes we use near to mean close to somebody physically. We also use near sometimes to mean what? Yeah, we use it in a whole different sense sometimes. No? Time. Sometimes it's something that's near is soon. Like it's going to happen right away. So sometimes people think of this passage and think, well, the Lord's coming back soon. I think it's better to think of it in terms of the closeness. That he means the Lord's right there. How close is God? How near is he? He's like super near. He's like in us and around us and looking at us. And, and does, does it change how you behave when you're thinking about how close God is? Does it make you more moderate, uh, maybe less quarrelsome and argumentative and things like that? Think about the last time you fought with one of, one of your siblings. Would you have done that in that way if you had actually been thinking about how the Lord was watching you and how close he was to you? So, the Lord being near makes us be gentle. Because we, don't, we wouldn't want to lose our temper right in front of God, would we? Can you imagine doing that? What if you had Jesus who was actually physically there at your house? And, you know, you had a sibling that ticked you off and something really made you mad. If you, if you were seeing Jesus right there, would you yell at him? Would you hit him? No. I mean, so the Lord being near helps. It also helps us in verse 6. If we realize how close God is to us, what don't we do in verse 6? Yeah. We're not all worried about things. Uh, what do we do instead of worrying about things? Well, here, what do we do? Pray, absolutely. You know, in nothing, be anxious, in everything, pray. You know, because when we think about <coughs> the Lord being near us, and we really don't have anything to worry about, we just turn to the Lord and, and throw everything on Him and depend on Him and trust in Him. And that's how, verse 7, we have God's peace guarding our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Everybody's looking for peace. Sometimes people aren't willing to do what it takes to receive it. So that's that's what you see in this passage. Comments and questions through seven. I love the way that you If we do have the Lord with us, is there anything really to worry about? Take Good way to look at that. Thank you. Very good. Other thoughts? Going along with what Kaylee was saying, a lot of times when we get weighed down with stuff, we put extra responsibilities on ourselves that take care of us to do everything we can to fix the problem. And then as Christians, you know, we're told that 
Peter tells us to cast all your anxieties and all your cares on him because when you do that, it doesn't become your problem anymore. It's you and God. And you're saying, God, take care of this for me because we show our true need for it. Good point. Yeah, good point. Look at verse 8. What does he say we need to do? Think about good stuff, not bad stuff. How do we do with that? that that's exactly what we got to do. You know, it's hard to think about good stuff if you're constantly piping bad stuff into your brain. <laughs> they have a garbage in, garbage out idea in no, business accounting, computer, whatever. And uh, same way in our mind, you put garbage in, what would you expect to come out? Garbage. What are some ways we can put garbage in? Having bad friends. Bad friends that influence in some bad ways? Music. What about the music reason? Do we listen to music that's really, uh, you know, builds us up and puts good ideas in our head? Or do we listen to music that puts bad stuff on our mind all the time? And remember, music's pretty powerful. It, it can really have an impact on us. You know, do we make heroes out of the artists that are just trash? Or, or, or not? Uh, I think music has such a big impact on what our minds are all the time. Or even other media. You know, the, what you see on the internet, movies you watch, stuff like that. Does, if you feed in a bunch of garbage, what's your mind probably going to draw on? Garbage, right. Yeah, what about unavoidable bad influences? You're working around bad people, for example. Maybe you live in a family that aren't Christians and they are bad. So I think there's got to be a balance between shining the light and then fleeing temptation because if, if we become scared of sin, how can you stand up to it like Ephesians says? Okay, yes. Okay, you might make a distinction between things you purposely choose and things you have no choice about, Emily. Yes, the more you fill your mind with good things, the more it helps kind of uh, protect your mind. Um, Jesus said to, to, to his father when he prayed that he was worried about the disciples because they were in the world even though they were not to be of the world. So Jesus recognized there's some problem with just being in the world. He saw that as being dangerous because of the influences. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5 he didn't mean it for us to withdraw from the wicked people in the world or we'd have to leave the world. So he doesn't mean for us to leave the world. It's very challenging when we are more around wicked thoughts. That makes it harder for us. If you do work at a job 
with really filthy mouthed and foul-minded people, it's going to be harder for you. That is going to be a challenge. If you're in a house where the people in the house are very irreverent and very sensual, and they talk a lot about those things, it's going to be a lot harder for you. You know, it is more of a battle. And you will have to protect yourself even more by not connecting, by filling your mind so much with the Lord, His Word, prayer, worship, things like that, that you don't have any space for the devil to get in. Uh, so those are challenges. It's really hard to keep your mind dwelling on righteous stuff because we do have a lot of even unavoidable bad stuff that comes in. Is there, can you see a difference between your work and the people are foul mouthed and it's just really bad and you're listening to those kind of things on your Walkman and going to watch movies like that. Is there a difference? No. No? I say there is. What do you think the difference is, guys? I think like You certainly do have more choice, more leeway in that, Leah. Are we I think that's a big thing. You know, we say, well, you choose to listen to it, you don't. I want you to think about why you choose to do that. Why do you choose to see a movie? You want to. Yeah. You're entertained by it. It's fun. You ever just go to see a movie and you say, I have this movie. This is going to be the worst movie I've ever seen. You ever do that? That'd be kind of dumb. You might do that, but I don't know many people who do. If you thought it was really a horrible movie, you wouldn't watch it. You know, you ever watched a movie and you thought, this is the stupidest movie. I hate this thing. Do you usually go walk back and watch it five more times then? No. It's really stupid and disgusting. I don't really like it. I don't even talk about morally. I just think this is so dumb. What a waste of two hours and, you know, eight bucks or ten bucks or whatever it is these days. You know, they probably should not see it again because you didn't really like it. It wasn't entertaining. So that's a concern for me. Why is it that we enjoy and want to be entertained by stuff that, that's really filling our mind with garbage? And, and probably things we choose to watch and listen to have more impact on us than things we can avoid. So I say we got a huge battle because we live in the world to keep our mind on these things. We need to do everything we can to feed the good stuff in and keep all optional bad stuff out. What do you think, Cass? Yeah, um, I have a question. Like, if you were in a situation I thought this was pretty cool. This has been many years ago. 
there was a young man, fairly young, who was trying to overcome some impurity issues in his life. He, he really opened up, he really made a commitment, and he was very focused on trying to avoid it. He was at my house. My kids were about to go win a movie and watch it. His family was at my house, not just him. He and his, me and his dad were talking somewhere, and he came to us. It was so cool. I'll tell you what. You know, if you really want to change your life, if you want to get rid of something out of your life, you've got to When he walked in to where me and his dad were talking, he looked white as a sheep. He was practically trembling. He said, you know, they're going to go rent this movie. I'm scared of watch. I'm afraid it might have something bad in it that would set me back into what I'm trying to get out of. I thought that was really cool. You know, he was so determined not to do anything that would get him back into his old pattern that he was scared to even watch what turned out to be a fine movie. And I think once he found that out and it was going to be okay, he was comfortable watching it. But I really respect the fact that he didn't even want to take a chance on something he didn't know about because he didn't want to go back into his old simple pattern, old simple pattern. You know, I, I wouldn't want to watch something that put bad stuff in my mind if I could avoid it. And I really wouldn't want my friends to think I wanted to watch that. So I'd probably want to personally to leave the room or to say, I don't want to watch this and walk away and maybe let them know. Here's why I did that. Um, that's a personal decision. But I hope it doesn't ever get to a lot where we're like, I know that's immoral, but that's really funny. I really enjoyed that. I, I want to see that again. You know, I hope you never get to where you think all those wicked, worthless, worldly things are just really cool and you want to put those in your mind. Take it. Has this week been helpful to you spiritually? And why? You're around lots of praying and singing and studying and people talking about the Lord and living for the Lord. And you're really not around a bunch of cussing and lying and, you know, bad, worldly, wicked attitudes and dirty jokes and things like you, you know, you take a few days where you're just constantly thinking about the Lord and spiritual things and in a good atmosphere, it makes a difference for you. Of course it does. I mean, you know, does, the, does God really have to tell us this? I mean, 
Doesn't it make a lot of sense? You put a bunch of good stuff in your mind all at once, and you're going to think better and have a better attitude and want to do better and really do better? Yeah. And so by the same token, when you put a bunch of bad stuff in, it's going to be a lot harder. You know, if you're in one of those bad situations, you have a job with some wicked people, you got a home life that's horrible, even more than anybody else, you've got to chop your mind so full of the word, of the Lord, of worship, of prayer. You've got to put so many great things in your mind and constantly focus on those to where the devil doesn't have any room to stick garbage in. I love verse 9 also. Paul says, the things you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. How many of you want your best friend that you care the most about? How many of you would want that best friend to do everything he saw or heard you do? That's how Paul He lived in a way that he wanted the people he cared about the most to do just what they saw him do. Say just what they heard him say. That's our goal. Live so that others could imitate us and be better because of it. Comments through verse 9. A lot of stuff there, yes. I mean, pretty much what we do comes out of our head. And so you, you make better choices. You want to make better choices. You want to, because, because, you know, and you think about choices that we make. And, and you can think about some of the times you've chosen to do things that really weren't smart, really weren't good. And well, what was in your mind? You know, what were you thinking about? And, uh, you know, we make a lot of dumb choices sometimes. But it all comes back to the whole what we had on our, in our brain. So filling our mind up. I mean, the Lord tells us the things we really need. Other thoughts? Yeah. Um, that kind of reminds me of like, whenever I get really a hobby or something that's really important, like, for instance, like, no, like, actually, a lot of sports, like, actually, football. Like, whenever you're about to go out for a football level, like, I'm just, I know, this is what I used to do. circumstance 
I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance in you. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share with you. You Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Aphrodite the gifts you sent, fragrant offering, sacrifice acceptable, pleasing to God. <coughs> my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Okay, Paul's saying, I was really happy because you revived your concern for me. They had sent uh, money to Paul through Epaphroditus, is what I think. And Paul rejoiced that he saw again how their concern had been revived. But he's careful. As he talks about money, you see him constantly trying to make sure they understand what he's saying. So he says, you know, indeed you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. He is not complaining that they waited a while before they revived their concern. They just didn't have an opportunity before. Uh, and he didn't need their, their money. He says, I, I, I don't speak from want. You know, it's not like I'm deprived because I've learned to be content in any circumstance. I know how to be humble, get along with humble means and how to live in prosperity. To be hungry and have abundance. You know, it doesn't make any difference to Paul. Yeah, he can, he can, with, through Christ, he can go through any circumstance. So it's not like Paul is complaining or feeling like, oh man, uh, you know, you all, I, I just had such so rough and well, finally you said something because it's been really hard. No, he says, I, I, I don't need the money really because I'm content no matter what the Lord gives me. Are you like that? Are you content in every circumstance, or do you always complain about everything? There is a lot of value for us in recognizing the Lord is the one who gives us our circumstances, and so learning to be satisfied no matter what, <coughs> what the circumstance is. You know, sometimes we're so picky. You know, like, well, things have to be just right, right? You know, this was kind of bad, and that was kind of bad. I don't really like this. Paul wasn't like that. I mean, there were times he really suffered a lot, but he was content. There were times he was hungry, but he was content. Didn't matter whether he was hungry or full. Because he had the Lord. And if we can think like that, how much that helps us deal with everything. <coughs> and it helps us not, you know, get confused about what matters. Um, you know, one of these days soon we're going to be going to heaven. It's not really going to matter much if you are hungry or full. It's not really going to matter much if you had a nice bed or if you slept on concrete. It's not really going to matter much if it's 120 or if it's 20 below zero. Or whatever. You know, who cares? It's not for all. The Lord's in charge. Just let with it go on and focus on God. You see, that was Paul so much. Not feeling sorry for himself. Not thinking, oh, woke is me, it's so hard. And I just, I, I wish I wish he was sent sooner because you don't know what I went through. I was like, well, I didn't need anything. 
because the Lord's with me. But then it's like, well, that sounds bad. It almost sounds like, well, I don't want your money. Well, he's not trying to look down on what they sent him. He says in verse 14, nevertheless, you've done well to share with me in my affliction. In fact, Paul was really encouraged by their attitude. He said, you've been like that all along. Even when I first left Philippi, before I ever left the province of Macedonia, even in Thessalonica, next town he went to, they said more than once, a gift to help him. Right from the very beginning, they had been supporting Paul. And so, it had been really encouragement to him to see their willingness to share in, in supporting the gospel, supporting him in the gospel. But now, he doesn't want them to think he's begging. You know, he said, not, not that I seek the gift itself. You know, he's not trying to say, so, hey, how about some more? <laughs> no, he says, I've actually... You, I, I, I don't, I'm not worried about the gift. You know, I just want the profit and the balance to your account. I just want you to be blessed. And he said, I've received everything in full of heaven abundance. I'm amply supplied. I mean, I've received from Epaphroditus what you sent. And it's been wonderful. And so it's not like, you know, Paul uh, needs anything else. Oh, they've been so generous. It's just been amazing. Now, how do you feel when somebody is really generous with you and really gives you a lot, how does that usually make you feel? You want to give something back. What if you don't really have anything to give back? How do you feel? Indebted and kind of guilty. How do you feel around the person? Kind of awkward. It's like it's kind of it kind of stings to owe something. You know, it kind of stings. Here they've done all this for you, and you don't even have anything to do. You don't even know what to do with them. You don't really have anything. You know, and so it's just kind of tense. Well, I mean, what was Paul going to give the Philippians? I mean, you know, was he did he have a lot of money to send back? Is he going to be able to buy a nice present for all of them and send it back? You know, what, what's he going to be able to do to pay them back? I love verse 19. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You know, Paul wasn't worried about not being able to pay it back because God would. And uh, he's got a lot bigger bank account than we ever will. So he's well able to do the trick. And so he says, I, I know he'll do that. And so Paul never felt like this indebted, this awkwardness, this like, oh, I, I hate to even accept this because I, I can't really do anything back. Well, God can and God will and he knows he will. And so he praises God for that. I love just the way Paul analyzed this whole contribution thing. I think it just shows so much the heart and attitude of a true disciple. What are the comments and questions you have on that? Yeah, Jay. In chapter 4, um, how does verse 10 connect to the rest chapter? Well, I think, the well, maybe a little bit in that he's been, been talking about there, his joy in verse 1, and they need to rejoice in the Lord in verse 4, and then he says, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly. So he's another example. He tells them to rejoice in the Lord, but he also rejoices in the Lord greatly. 
But to some extent, he's also just transitioning to this as the last big thing he needs to talk to him about. Really, he probably wrote the letter almost as a thank you note. That's really kind of his ultimate purpose. He said a bunch of other stuff, but he wants to make sure he thanks him for the gift. So he kind of springboards off of telling him, rejoice in the Lord, and say, well, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly myself because of your gift. Good question. Other comments and questions? Yeah. Yes, and Paul says that some other times as well. So you see that personal connection. The Lord is my shepherd, kind of an idea. Good point, John. I really like to be able to see Paul's attitude in this, how he doesn't see it as the gift itself, but he sees it as the attitude of the Philippians and how that uh, overall is more of a blessing to them than it is for him. Yes. Isn't that amazing? Paul doesn't see money as much as he sees their love and their sharing. And he doesn't see that so much as what it does for him as the blessing it gives to them. Paul has a great heart. Wow. And all of this when he's gone through so much. But he cares about others, not himself. So, uh, at the end of verse 10 it says, you're me concerned me, but you and then he goes on to basically say in verse 13, you know, I can get through this. And a guy in jail, he's gone through so much, telling someone not to worry. It's so encouraging because a lot of times we think it's good to have that sympathy for someone else and that the person who's gone through the struggle oftentimes does the encouraging to the encourager. <laughs> good point. That's exactly right. Here, and I, this passage, I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. Sometimes people use that, well, so if you want to, you know, win a Olympic gold medal, you can do it, you know, whatever. No. Here in the context is, I can go through anything. I can suffer through any adversity, any deprivation. That's the idea here. You know, through Christ, I can be hungry if I need to be. I can go without sleep if I need to be. I can be beaten. I can be stoned. I can go. It doesn't matter what happens to me. In Christ, anything that happens to me is okay. That's the point. Yes. Good point. We have a much greater unpayable debt to the Lord than we do to anyone else. Yes. We don't really feel guilty about that, but we ought to sure feel appreciated. Wow. Other thoughts? Okay. Look. What do you think of verse 13 is specifically referring to? I mean, because we hear I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me different situations. I think the all things is like I can go through all these difficult circumstances. Not what I can accomplish and achieve, but he's been talking about, you know, being filmed, going hungry, having abundant suffering. Yeah, I can do all things. I can go through anything. It doesn't matter. You know, we're just living. But if we've got the Lord, it matter what happens. So, I think in verse 13 it really shows that Paul's heart is in the right place because he doesn't have to qualify with I can do all spiritual things because we can see so clearly that his heart is already set on doing God's work. Because nowadays people use that for 
anything for I mean, football, basketball, baseball, any kind of accomplishment. I can succeed in business. He didn't have to qualify because he was there. Amen. Great point. So 21 to 23. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's nation. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So he's saying, say hi to all the Christians there for me. That's really what he's saying. And again, he thinks about every one of them. You know, you be sure to tell every one of them, I said hi, is the idea. Paul's always thinking about each one. It's amazing, his focus and his heart in that. So encouraging. The brethren who are with me greet you. You see how the brethren in the first century loved each other and all were sending their greetings back and forth. You know, all the uh, saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. So, I uh, wonder how there got to be saints in Caesar's household. Um, you know, I'm wondering if that had anything to do with all preaching the house God. Is that how it got, there got to be saints in Caesar's household? I think it's probably an indication Paul was in Rome. Some people deny that, but I think it's probably an indication that he was. And he's sending greetings from some Christians, actually, in Caesar's own household. And then, like all of Paul's letters, he ends it with grace. He begins and ends all of his letters with grace. Because our whole life and everything about us begins and ends with the grace of God. Without the grace of God, we are nothing. So it's a great place to end everything with God's grace being with us. Comments and questions on all of that? John? I think that's really encouraging. Um, how especially those of Caesar's household. Caesar here is Nero, right? Uh, probably so. Yeah, he's the, the dude that, you know, stick Christians on stakes and burn them. And he was not the nicest guy. And so I think it's really cool how there are people who, are, who have enough strong faith to be exposed to Caesar himself, who, if he really found out, would probably kill you. Yeah, it could be. There were probably some times the persecution more severe and less. You know, there was always, in every time, the case that if he'd have known, he would have killed them. But still, there are times when it's a risk, and it's very encouraging that they were there. Yeah, Jay? Um, when Paul, we say that verse 23 almost? Yeah. Does I think every letter of Paul's ends with the grace of God. Well, it's almost like, like in the letters you write, um, like you sign your name. Yeah, he signs the grace of the Lord, doesn't he? Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, so. Uh, one of the things that I really like, he said the grace of the Lord is about to be spirit. And it shows us another idea. Um, it's wholeheartedness. And it's wholeheartedness kind of spiritual thing. Because he understands that at any given time that his life can be done. But he knows that his spirit is in this everyone. He wants their spirits to be encouraged because we're not granted anything physically. Good point. <coughs> Anything else? All right. Well, I think the bell should be ringing along about now, and uh, we were able to do Philippians. You said it I think I just heard it. Did I hear it? Yeah. Ah, there you go. <laughs>